Meat production is bad for the planet. I don't think this is a secret. I think a lot of people know this by now. It uses up tons of land. It uses a lot of water, and that's fresh water. And it also produces a huge amount of the greenhouse gases. It's actually estimated that 15% of the human-caused emissions are coming from meat. These reasons alone have pushed some people to become vegetarians. But here's the thing. We're not the only ones who are eating meat. Dogs and cats actually eat a lot of meat. It's where most, if not all, of their calories come from. It's estimated that dogs and cats consume about one quarter of all of the meat calories that are produced. A recent trend is that premium pet foods are becoming more and more popular. And this means that less of the meat that our pets are eating is coming from byproducts. We are actually raising animals just for our little Fluffy to have his next meal. Is forcing your dog to go vegan the answer? Probably not. But Danielle Lowe from Doodlebug Pet Food, she has an alternative. So you want people to feed their pets bugs, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I sell two different types of cricket-based dog treats right now. Uh, open to entering into dog kibble or products for cats, other pets, etc. Uh, and then also maybe even using different types of insects. But right now it's just crickets. Crickets is probably the easiest like starting point, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Crickets, it's like it's the go-to when people try insects the first time. Mm-hmm. I've read it's because we're more used to crickets and like we've seen crickets in more of a positive light, like with Jiminy Cricket and all that. Um, so people okay. are more accepting of it. Yeah. Okay. Jiminy Crickets helped us yes. get closer to eating bugs. Yeah. Yeah. I think also like the idea of maybe eating worms, that doesn't seem, doesn't fit quite right with people. They associate it with like decomposing or something. You don't yeah. Yeah. And that's the big part of the food aversion is because historically we're we're raised to think that eating insects is something that's gross and like if you see people around you having a disgusted expression to something it conditions you not to eat it and like that's just based purely on like survival right like if you if someone tells you something's gross as a kid you're not going to eat it you don't want to get sick um and so when people have that reaction to bugs, even though bugs have been eaten all throughout time and they're eaten in cultures all around the world right now, mm-hmm. here in Canada and in Western society, we still have that food aversion to something that is really healthy and sustainable. I wonder how many people in the world currently eat bugs. Do you think it's like it's a billions, lot. hundreds of millions? It's something like that. It, I I think it's a, a billion something. I should know this stuff, but it, it is a lot, <laughs> a yeah. lot, a lot. Well, it's hard number to keep track of. I don't yeah. know if they're counting it, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in like other like other cultures now, like I've talked to people who, when they go traveling to different countries, it's just on. It's it's a product you can buy at flea markets on the streets, and it's just it's normal. A good thing to get into. What made you want to do food production with bugs to begin with? Well, originally I wanted to sell cricket-based burgers for humans. I learned about entomophagy. So entomophagy is is the practice of eating insects. I learned about that in an elective course at UVic. And I realized it was a very like smart way to consume protein. It's sustainable, it's healthy and whatnot. So I held on to that idea and I started building the business concept of a cricket-based burger. I actually competed in some competitions with that idea at my school. 
Um, and then once I entered the entrepreneurship specialization at UVic, I pivoted that idea into the pet food industry. Mm. So you started trying to focus on getting humans to eat crickets or to mm -hmm. eat insects. Mm -hmm. um, did you find that it was difficult to get people to get on board with that? Or like what, what made you want to switch from that to pet food? Well, I didn't get super far into the product market fit stage when I was doing that, that cricket burger idea. I did a lot of secondary research. I learned that the trend for eating cricket products is entering the human food market. It's like it's expanding from the like from Europe into the states into Canada. So I, I know that that trend is growing right now, but mm -hmm. I can see that people are more willing to feed their dogs cricket products or insect products just because they can wrap their their like their heads around that a little bit easier. Mm. Um, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can definitely see that. I I'm thinking like we have a couple of cats, and if there's a bug that flies into the house, they just they go after it. They want mm -hmm. it. They want to get that thing, and then they always eat it. Yeah. So it's like if you see that happening, you think okay, yeah. it's probably okay to feed my yeah. pets crickets. It's pretty similar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, it's kind of like a long game strategy too. Like uh, if people can if they see their their pets eating crickets if they can see it in stores and they start to learn more about the benefits of this protein source the idea is that the human food market will shift too and people will become more accepting of that mm. versus telling someone hey this is a source of protein that you probably haven't heard of before i've never tried i've never seen it in a store go eat it right now <laughs> if you can kind of like shape that can, that perception a little bit differently then hopefully down the line it can it can shift too yeah that makes a lot of sense and I feel like a lot of people have a vague idea of why eating insects is good for the yeah. world. But like, what are the main reasons why it's better than, say, eating meat? Yeah, so for pets, first off, it has the same sustainability benefits. So it uses less land, food, and water, and also produces fewer greenhouse gases to produce crickets. And like, that's like drastic numbers, too. Um, and then when you look at the nutritional benefits, like there's a lot of vitamins in crickets, uh, like it has like all nine essential amino acids. That's like very, very healthy. Like bodybuilders like to eat cricket powder and mm -hmm. whatnot. So it's really good for muscle building. It's good for digestion. It's an easily digestible source of protein. And then for my reason in shifting it into the pet industry, uh, was actually because my sister's dog, we found out she had a meat intolerance. And so for people who aren't aware of what a meat intolerance is, that means that some dogs can't have proteins like, beef, chicken, pork, they're really sensitive to it. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of yeah, people you, know about that. <laughs> no, you wouldn't think that. It seems like you imagine dogs, they're eating meat or any, any kind of like pet, that's what that's what the go-to is. But yeah. some of them, it just doesn't work for them. Doesn't It upsets their stomach or what happens exactly? Yeah, so from my research, I've seen that we, we've fed dogs the same source of protein over and over. Like you feed your dogs... Say you feed your dog a chicken-based kibble, you feed it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner mm -hmm. every single day for nine years, they can develop an intolerance to that. So that can cause mm -hmm. symptoms like balding, itching, vomiting, diarrhea, like all these things, like even feet biting. If your dog bites their feet over and over, maybe their feet are really red and inflamed, that could be a meat intolerance. And because of this perception that dogs are wolves and carnivores, mm -hmm. people don't acknowledge that or don't recognize that. But dogs are so far removed from wolves at this time. Like, mm -hmm. like you look at a Pomeranian, like pugs. Pugs are like very common for suffering from meat intolerances. 
Another uh, furthest thing from a wolf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's literally no similarities left. Yeah, so the dogs are actually omnivores. So crickets are a source of protein meat intolerant dogs can have that has those sustainability benefits, those nutritional mm. benefits, and they're hypoallergenic too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So like you can't just go ahead and start feeding your dog carrots or something, but they need, because they need that protein. They right. need the different vitamins and minerals. So right. crickets are one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's other uh, types of protein that are less common allergens than beef, chicken, and pork. Like there's also lamb, there's kangaroo, there's alligator. But if you look at the environmental like implications of that, like getting alligator and kangaroo here in Canada, like that, that has like, you have to ship that from pretty far away, whereas crickets mm. can be grown in city centers if need be, and uh, lambs and whatnot as well like that. They actually are pretty harsh on the environment, so. So crickets are the clear solution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so you've started a while you're in university, and you're still in university now, which yeah. is, I think for a lot of people, it, and myself included, I had the lots of ideas to start businesses. Mm -hmm. I When I was in my dorm room, I was thinking up all these ridiculous ideas that didn't have any like real business potential mm -hmm. like i actually i remember the first uh the first one that i really thought about is we were going to make decals for the walls yeah so in the dorm room you could have like a little super mario scene yeah and you put that up on the wall that, that is not a thing i feel like that's that's not a terrible idea people yep. do get like wallpapers and like different things you can put on your dorm rooms well maybe it's a thing now maybe you should have done it <laughs> I, I probably should have yeah <laughs> so i missed out on that <laughs> but that's the thing most people don't actually take that step, especially while you're in your university because mm -hmm. you've got just so much else going on. Mm -hmm. So what, what pushed you to actually make the step towards creating business? I think it's a few things. Um, I mean, like I had ideas before this one too that I just didn't pursue for the same reason. Uh, there's like a big tendency I found to like, okay, well, maybe I should do this later, like after I get some more job experience, once I'm done school. But mm -hmm. I slowly started to realize that there's never going to be a perfect time to pursue an idea. Uh, after school, it's just going to be, well, I have a full-time job. I don't want to quit my full-time job to start this business. And and now I have a mortgage and maybe now I have a kid or maybe now mm -hmm. I have all these other things. And so I realized mm -hmm. that being in university, like things are pretty low stakes. Like, yeah, you're busy, but I don't know, like lots of university students have plenty of time to do things like partying or, you know, like extracurriculars, <laughs> like hanging out. Like there's really no reason why you can't just like slowly build up something else on the side. Yeah, that's that's very true. I guess uh, people value partying more than <laughs> creating a business. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something that a lot of people do. So it's it's cool that you're able to make that step towards it. Mm -hmm. And then and also like it's it wasn't just like that I was willing to take that leap. Like I think I was fortunate to be in the BCom program at UVic. Like it's a pretty flexible program. Uh, did you did you do the BCom program at UVic or? Uh, no, I was at uh, Carleton. It was in okay. Ottawa. Okay, so yeah, the if you're not familiar with the BCom program at UVic, the first two years are really flexible. You only have I think four or four or five required classes, uh, which means there's a whole bunch of room for taking electives. And one of those electives I took is actually where I learned about entomophagy. So at the time, you might think like this is a random piece of information I'll never use. And <laughs> a lot of people I knew like took classes that they didn't care about, but were just grade boosters. Mm -hmm. So when I was in those first two years, I took a lot of classes that I thought would expand my knowledge. Like I took some like child and youth care classes. Like I took this Pixar class that like a lot of people took, but you actually learn a lot about business. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind of, I used those first two years to expand my breadth of knowledge. And then third year, uh, that, one's, that one's pretty rigid. You have a lot of courses you have to do. 
Um, but then you have co-ops and yeah, so I'm doing entrepreneurial co-op now and I structured it. So I did two entrepreneurial co-op terms back to back. So I did my entrepreneurship specialization first and then my, my co-op. So if you have an idea, like there's definitely ways that you can use your degree as a way to support it at UVic rather than your degree as a way that like holds you back. Yeah, that's, that is a great system. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be so much better if people had opportunities like that throughout university. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I think a lot of people do their four years and they're memorizing things and then they get to the end of it and they realize, I don't remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. If, if you actually have experience, even co-op is like a little bit better because you had some real work experience. Right. Then you can go back and apply things that you learn in co-op. You can apply things you learned in school to co-op. Yeah. Like both ways, it's yeah. it's so much better, I think. Yeah, especially like the entrepreneurship specialization at UVic is unreal. Like I literally, like I went into that co-op, uh, that, that specialization this past summer at the start of it, wanting to do a cricket-based burger mm-hmm. and like going through those projects in the program, like where you have help from professors and your peers, like I completely pivoted my business concept and my, my business model in that mm-hmm. term. So I, I was getting school credit and like using all the resources at the school to build a business before launching it. So if yeah. you, like, for students who have an idea in BCom, because obviously you've got a whole bunch of people in the business program who are probably entrepreneurial-minded, mm-hmm. if they if they use the resources on hand, then it's a huge asset. Yeah, that's that's awesome that they have that. Mm-hmm. That, um, that would make it so much easier. Like, a lot of times people try and enter incubators or accelerators when they start their business, and it's hard to get into those to begin with. But right. if you already have all of those resources available to you yeah. while you're in school and while you're starting business. That's, yeah. that's like perfect. It's kind of like a boot camp too. Like you, like when I entered it, I didn't even know what a lean canvas was or I'd never really done a, like a proper pitch. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd seen things like that before, but I didn't really learn how to do it. So say like, like I know friends who have done the entrepreneurship specialization and now are like entering like other types of accelerators outside of the school because they have that practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they've pretty much already went through one. They're like yeah. professional is going to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, so yeah, you first started with the human, or not the human burgers. I, I've said that before and people are like, <laughs> there's a, yeah. You, you might be able to sell insects, but yeah. you're not going to be able to sell humans. Yeah. So, okay, but when you first um, started that, did you try to test it out in any way? Or was it mostly just from talking to people that you got the, you realized you need to switch? Uh, so I did try making a cricket burger to see if it was even a good product. And Mm -hmm. I knew that it was being sold in other parts of the world too. So I knew it was possible. Um, I guess it was like when I, when I started the entrepreneurship specialization, I was realizing, okay, it's really hard to launch a product for the human market. Like there's a whole bunch of barriers to entry here mm-hmm. and I'm just one person. Yeah. Uh, and then at the same time, my sister's dog was having these symptoms and I found out that she had a meat intolerance. So I didn't know meat intolerance was a thing and mm-hmm. I didn't know that crickets were a solution to that. So when I was realizing like the, the complications with selling a product to the human market and I realized uh, that maybe like people aren't quite as accepting to eat it for themselves yet, I also realized that there's a whole other market here that is also experiencing a lot of growth right now, like the pet the pet industry. Yeah, uh, it was just kind of like a natural a natural shift. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And also, people are caring more and more about what they feed their dogs. So, yeah. so if you have something that's different that might fulfill the dog's needs more, then 
that exactly. sounds like a perfect fit. Exactly. Like the pet spending is increasing, like pet purchasing is increasing, especially in millennials. Um, and then, yeah, like along with the increasing demand for insect protein, the, the demand for insect protein is supposed to go from 1 billion to 8 billion between 2019 and 2030. Mm. So like the market is growing like hugely meat intolerances are becoming more common. So it was just, it was an, a comfortable way to, to start building and like a good, a really good pivot in an early stage. Yeah. Do you think eventually you would try like maybe expanding to different pet products, but then eventually try to expand back into human grade food or? Yeah, I would like to. I mean, the, the vision for the company is to be a, a sustainable protein company that enhances health and wellness. So that kind of leaves the door open for other types of pet products and also products for human consumption, because mm. I don't only see it as a solution for pets. I also see it as a solution for our increasing demand for protein as a, like a society, like mm. with increased population growth and um, more demand for protein with with fewer environmental capacity. Yeah, definitely. I'm like, I'm thinking if I ever go to a grocery store, you don't see anything insect based. Right. Like, I don't think I've ever seen cricket flour or anything like that. So there obviously is not a lot of supply going mm -hmm. through the system right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like starting with pet food is going to kind of kickstart that system and then maybe it can move to human food? Yeah, like I, like I'm aware of the competition in the industry. I, I don't, I agree. Like I don't really see it these types of products in store, but I do see them online and I see them in mm. other like places like the States and whatnot. So like Ikea in Sweden is now selling a mealworm burger. So mm. my prediction <laughs> is that eventually it's gonna, once the trends start changing, like whoever runs Ikea will slowly start to, to put that into our market too. Yeah, okay. So it's like fashion trends. They like start in Europe. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I'm surprised that it hasn't became a bigger thing here. Yeah. I am too. I mean, to me, it seems so obvious. Like it's such a good product. We need it. And like, if you look at people this last, these last two years, like maybe people don't, people don't really like change, but some, at a certain point you have to, like you have to, to survive. And mm -hmm. I think we're, we're like, we're at that point with the way we consume things and the way we produce things. So I think at a certain point, it's just going to be required for us to like get over our food aversion. <laughs> So yeah, so eventually I get to that point, but something yeah. needs to happen where there's at least like that option available and people are thinking about it. Yeah, I, I imagine what will happen is the smaller players like say Doodlebug or um, like some of my competitors and whatnot, even like new people, new new players will come into the market once they start getting more traction. I imagine the, the bigger companies will follow suit and hmm. I don't know <laughs> who knows what will happen at that point. But <laughs> yeah, then it's then it's anyone's game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I, I know a lot of people, obviously, there's a lot of, of vegetarians and vegans out there, mm -hmm. but I also feel like there's a lot of people who are kind of like partway there, like they only eat meat one or two days a week, but they still feel like they need to get some protein. Yeah, it's, it's called a flexitarian mm -hmm. diet, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think like maybe a transition period would be you would, you could say like, oh, I'm a vegetarian, but I also eat bugs. Yeah. <laughs> and then that would... Yeah. I mean, it sounds ridiculous if you tell someone that, mm. but then that's a good way to get that protein in and then you can slowly like move to maybe yeah. feel vegetarian. I, I've thought about that dilemma between like my, my sister and her fiance are vegan. Mm -hmm. And she, when I made those cricket burgers, like she, she couldn't do it. She wouldn't, she didn't mm. want to eat it because it's a living, a living thing. Uh, he was all game for it though. So I think mm. it probably depends on people's reasoning for being vegan. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I haven't really like, 
ask them what their reasons are. But thinking hypothetically, if someone's like sole reason for not wanting to eat animals is because of like just the environmental effects, yeah. then they are probably willing to try insects. But if it's to do with, I don't know, like just the act of killing something. Taking life in some way or another. Yeah, but there, there's arguments for that too. Like consuming or uh, harvesting crickets is a much more humane way of collecting protein. Like mm-hmm. crickets get to live 90% of their lives. Whereas when you see like cows, chickens, pigs, they live less than 5% of their natural lives. Oh, okay. Cause yeah. Yeah, because crickets probably don't live that long to begin with. So yeah. by the time they're at their full, like, yeah. s- final stage, yes. then they're yeah. harvested, kind of. Exactly, mm. and they, they get cooled down, so they go into a hibernation state, so they don't feel anything. Uh, and they're also, their entire lives are spent living in a little, like, it's called little apartments. So it's like, mm-hmm. it m- mimics their natural environment. It's it's dark, it's the temperature they like and whatnot, so. they got lots of buddies in there. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> so it's different than, like, mass production of chickens and whatnot. Mm, that's right. I guess you could never do uh, like free range bugs <laughs> or could you just catch I, them? I have had customers think that I get my crickets by catching them in the wild. Mm. And I just like the picture, like the thought of myself running around outside trying to catch crickets for this is just, I, I find it so funny. That's a very sustainable business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spend 90% of my time <laughs> catching crickets. Yeah, exactly. Like got some like special gear for it too. <laughs> so how, how do you get the crickets? Like, are you getting full crickets or are you getting like cricket uh, flour or something? Cricket flour. So mm. there are producers who, who make crickets. They also, some, ple- some places make different types of insects too. So it's as easy as ordering wholesale flour or ordering wholesale sugar. Mm. It's very straightforward. Yeah. Okay. So the suppliers are available. You yeah. Can't, you can't get in the grocery store, but you're still able to get it if you want to make. Yeah. I imagine there's some grocery stores out there who sell it, but not not in the quantities that I would need. And yeah, there's more uh, insect suppliers popping up all the time. Like there's mm. some in Manitoba, some in Ontario, some in Alberta. So there's just, and then as, as more producers come into the market too, the cost of it's going to go down. So it's just going to be even easier to, to sell these types of products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with the momentum, like going in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And do you, do you eat any crick or like any kind of cricket or insect products yourself or? I, I have eaten it before. I haven't like actively brought it into my diet. I, I don't, mm. I wouldn't say that I have like a super strong food aversion to it. I think for me, it's more of like the habit changing. Like I spend so much time making these products and like working on my business that it's almost like I I haven't like thought about like the effect that I'm like mm. having on my diet. Yeah. And I mean like I'll go days where I'll I won't eat meat. Like I'd say I try to have more of like a flexitarian diet. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah like I think I think that like I think that helps me understand like where humans are coming from, like where the human market, mm-hmm. like how they feel about it. Um, but I know that there are like really healthy ways or like easy ways to integrate it, like into smoothies or into things you already eat. Like that's supposed to be the best way to, to bring it in. And like when you put it into a smoothie too, like you, you don't taste it at all. Yeah. That's probably a lot, a lot easier of a step towards eating it than just like taking a full cricket and eating it. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably tough. Yeah. And my, my suppliers have sent me like little taster things of like, like cricket crisps i can't remember what they call it but mm. it's like they don't pulverize the cricket it's like little pieces of it mm. um little crunchy texture yeah nice. so yeah. i wouldn't say that like i'm at the point where like i love that <laughs> i mm. think i'm i'm probably more like i'll eat it if it's like incorporated into something else and it's i don't know i think it's just a matter of time maybe yeah. but i i think it, if it did start like becoming a bigger thing in 
our modern society. Yeah. I think a lot of kids would eventually be fine with it. Like maybe yeah. some of the adults are past the point. They've been trained that that uh, you shouldn't eat bugs or insects yeah. of any kind. Yeah. But I think kids are probably going to be much more open to it. Yeah, I think it, it depends on what they see, <clears throat> right? Like if a kid sees their parent making a gross face to it, mm -hmm. then they're probably not going to. Like I've had people at my farmer's markets ask to taste the dog treats because it's all like human grade ingredients. Mm. Um, and like people like, like, like that doesn't taste bad at all. Like so I have people ask me to sell it for humans. I've seen people who are like, <laughs> they want to buy it for themselves, but they like feel embarrassed to do that. Uh, <laughs> um, they got to put it in a different container. At least. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take the, the paw print off the front. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to try it now. Yeah. <laughs> Just a heads up, we had some audio and video recording issues at this point. So we might sound a bit robotic from here on out. Note to self, plug in the laptop that you are recording the podcast on. Okay. My favorite is when I'm at a market and I find a parent who, like, I try to give their dog a sample and they're like, oh, like, they can't like they're allergic to like chicken and they're allergic to dairy and whatnot and like my mm -hmm. product is completely hypoallergenic no egg dairy meat mm -hmm. yada 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 the list goes on yeah so when i tell them about the value proposition like i can see their face light up because they haven't found something like this and then that customer is the kind who keeps buying and it's like it's such a good feeling finding that person who has the problem of solving yeah yeah because there's got to be a good number of people that yeah. have that problem exactly i have a customer who it's a, their dog hasn't had treats in like a decade. Mm -hmm. Like my dog is allergic to everything. They haven't had treats in a decade. I wish I had found this sooner. And that's a repeat customer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause people like people want their dogs to be happy. They want them to have like good nutrition, everything. Right. So then if they have the opportunity to give it to them again, it's, exactly. that's like exactly what they want. Yeah. So the struggle for Doodlebug at this point is like building the systems to keep supporting that customer on a convenient basis. So I'm looking at like subscription services. I'm trying to like improve my, my manufacturing process so right now. It's like, it's really scrappy, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just a matter of time. So, uh, so how, how scrappy is it? <laughs> it's really scrappy. Like it'll take a lot of time for me to make the treats. Like mm -hmm. the, the cost of ingredients and, and whatnot, like the actual like product and building, the margins are good, but mm -hmm. like, I'm the only employee at Doobot. Yeah. So like so all you're, you're the shop and you're yeah. the marketing and you're everything. Exactly. So it's tough when like I have to fulfill, like I do this work to get these orders. I get these orders and then it's like, I have all this time I have to spend baking and packaging. So my focus right now is to try to invest in more like automated machinery to not only make it faster, but also make the product more consistent and like be able to give it to the customer on a reliable basis. Mm. Yeah. That is a difficult thing with the type of business you're in because yeah. if you're competing with other dog food, dog tree manufacturers, they probably have massive facilities where right. they're creating all this stuff, right? Right. And even employees, like if, like if I had an employee, I mean, things would be faster, but it's like, it also costs money to hire somebody. So I'm trying to find a way to like at my state, it's just like there, there is machinery out there I'm looking at. So I'm just trying to find a way to like make that work for now. And then even like hiring someone to use that machinery, like that is a much more sustainable approach rather than paying someone to do what I'm doing right now. It takes weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of, you can do it part by part though. You don't have yeah. to buy a massive facility. You can get one machine that's right. going to help you quite a bit. And that's going to take you a step closer to where you're trying to go. Exactly. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. But the issue with that, like, is that then they'll just be a bottom like somewhere else in the, in the system. So I'm trying to like focus on each, like one step at a time 
without feeling like, oh my gosh, like there's actually like this problem, this problem, this problem I have to fix. Mm-hmm. But I think like that's that's a super common feeling in entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly. And it's always there's always that point where it's really hard to to step past there when you need to start hiring people and you need to make enough money to pay for the people you're hiring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that's a that's a hard point to get past. Yeah. And like I'm sure you can relate to this. Like people always say the hardest part about starting a business is just just starting, right? Mm-hmm. Um I'm slowly realizing it's not even just starting. It's like it's keeping on going every single step of the way. Like I have this tendency right now that I don't want to spend thousands of dollars on this machine. Like I could just keep doing what I'm doing right now because it's yeah. working. But it's not sustainable. And so you have to like just keep taking those leaps like all the time yeah. for your business to grow. And it's it's really hard to motivate yourself to take risks like that. Yeah, that that's for sure something that happens. Like you yeah. go you got go through kind of waves of motivation and to push yourself, to push your business to the next stage, you mm-hmm. have to kind of go deeper into it. You gotta yeah. spend more money, you gotta get more committed. Yeah. So when you hit those points where it's like, oh, this is difficult and I have to go so much further into it. I think that's pretty tough. Yeah. And it's, it's the idea of like missing the boat. Like you don't want to start, if you wait forever to start your business, you can miss the boat, mm-hmm. right? Someone else can do it before you or the market trends will shift or whatever. Mm. Uh, you, I'm realizing too, that you can also miss the boat after starting. Like if say I sit here forever and I keep making these treats by hand, it takes me like so much time. Yeah. Say it's for like a year, I could still miss the boat because someone else is going to come along and grow faster than I am. Yeah. And there's a weird thing about motivation where I think if you do take too long mm-hmm. where your business is just kind of stretched over a long period of time, mm-hmm. your overall level of motivation just kind of goes down over time. Yeah. I mean, that's because of burnout. Probably. I mean, I assume because mm-hmm. I, I feel that like there's days where I'm like, oh my God, like I just baked for eight hours yesterday and mm-hmm. I still have a whole bunch of other stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's, it's important to build those sustainable processes. Yeah. And just do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the longer you hold off, even though it might feel better to just stick with what's consistent yeah. and what you know. Yeah. Like you need to take that leap in order to like get yourself to the next stage. Yeah. And I also know like that there's like, it's important to make like to do small failures. Like for example, like the machine I'm looking at, I, I've considered like it's in the States. So I've, I've considered like flying there to test it out beforehand or like spending a couple hundred bucks to like send my product there to test it out before investing all that money in it. Um, but I also noticed like, I think that was like making me push it off even longer <laughs> because it was like all these other things I had to do. So I think at this point I might just like, just risk it, just do it. So, I mean, right now you're still in university to you. It probably seems like, oh, you're a game behind, you're not moving quick enough, but to most people, they haven't even thought about starting a business at this point. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think your plan is going to be after university? You're just going to focus on business. So that'll be ideal. Uh, I go back to school this summer. I do my last semester and then I graduate at the, at, during August. So at that point, the world's pretty like open. Does, like, does it feel weird being at this point to try to think of what you're going to do? I mean, I, I'm confident that I want to keep going with the business. Like it's had a lot of traction so far and I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I, I feel like it resonates with, with my values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also feel like I've had a lot more opportunities doing this. Like I, I look for co-ops before. And to be fair, I was looking, I realized now I was looking way too early. I was applying for co-ops like four months earlier than I should have been, mm-hmm. but I wasn't hearing bad. Like I went to go for coffee with people and like, it just like, I didn't really feel that like energy being reciprocated. I can imagine that on the other side, they're like, what? We're not hiring co-ops for like six months. Yeah, exactly. So 
to be fair, that's probably why that is going on. But I mean, like after starting this, it was like, it just feels so much more right. Like I just like, I really, really resonate with, with Doodle Lab. I, I mean, I'm excited to see what happens with it mm -hmm. and uh, excited to see where you go. And thanks a lot for coming on. This is uh, Danielle Lowe. Yeah. Thank you for okay. having me.